Masechet Ketubot, Daf Yod Chet. We are going to be dealing with Dine Mamonot today because the Mishnah is leading us there. The Mishnah mentioned that even Rabbi Yoshua, who denied Migo arguments regarding a Ketubah, accepts a Migo argument when it comes to uh, land, um, a land claim. If someone comes and says, hey, that's my land you're sitting on, and I say, listen, it was your father's, but I bought it from him. So since he has no proof, if he has proof that it wasn't his family, that it's his or it was his father's, then I have to show the document how I bought it or he gifted it to me. Uh, but if he doesn't have any proof, then I am believed to say it was your father's and I bought it because I could have said it was never yours. I was mine the whole time. All right. That was the example that the Mishnah brought. And now the Gemara wonders, why does it bring such a complicated example with the father? And then we had to say it was where the father was uh, alive for two of the years, and then he died, and then uh, the son was there for another couple of years, and they didn't make a claim and all that. Right? Couldn't the Mishnah have picked a simpler case of Amigo that is in a monetary case? Uh, we know that Bielazar does not accept uh, Amigo, uh, so to be Yoshua, does not accept Amigo when it comes to um, the, the, but when it comes to Ketubah, because there it regard, it's regarding Adayot, lineage, that's so more stringent. But we could have picked a simpler case regarding monetary law, so we're going to go through a couple of other possible cases where he could have said Migo. So, If you come and say, hey, you owe me money, and I admit that I could have said, no, I don't owe you anything, and I wouldn't have to pay you. If you, if I admit, um, yes, I borrowed money from you, but I already paid you back, so that person is believed. Good. Um, Why don't we use that example? Because we're going to have to follow it up with an alternate case. If you come with witnesses that say, that I borrowed money from you, then I don't have amigo. I can't claim that I could have said nothing because I have to answer your witnesses. So uh, in order for the case to work in the Mishnah, it would have had to be true that if you had witnesses that I did in fact borrow, then I would not be able to make a claim that said I paid you back. However, that's not true. The bottom line halacha is that even if we make a loan and there are witnesses at the time of the loan that show that I borrowed money from you, I don't have to pay back in front of witnesses. You might have thought another opinion that since I borrowed in front of witnesses, I have to pay back in front of witnesses so that everything is equal, but that is not true. I can pay back without witnesses. Therefore, even if you claim with witnesses that I borrowed from you, and I say, yes, I did borrow from you, but I paid you back, I am believed, even without witnesses, to say I paid you back. And therefore, we wouldn't be able to have a sefa if this was the case of the resha. So that's why we don't use that case. All right, next try. The Mishnah could have brought a case where someone, uh, someone claims money and I come and say, listen, I did borrow $100 from your father, right? Your father has, there, I have $100 of your father, meaning I borrowed it. And I fed him, meaning I paid back half. Um, that I am believed, since I could have denied the whole thing, and said, I don't know what you're talking about, I, don't know, I, I never borrowed money, I never owed you or your father anything. If I admit that I, your father did borrow, did lend me, but I pay back half, 
that would be believed. It's interesting because uh, now we're back to another case with the father and son, which um, uh, is still more complicated, but I guess still it's not as complicated as the one that we were talking about where the father's alive for two years and worried about Chazakah and all that. All right, so maybe this is a good case that we could have brought and we ask, well, the, the, the decision on this case would depend on the Machloket Tanaim that we're about to see in this Baraita. Say, this is a case of Meshiv Aveda because it's we're talking about a case where you did not claim anything to say, hey, you have to pay me a hundred dollars. I came on my own and I said to, to the son, to the orphan, the father died, and I come to the son and I say, listen, when your father was alive, I borrowed a hundred, but I paid back fifty. In this case, um, I'm, of course I'm believed because I could have said nothing. In fact, it's not even, I don't even need a migo here. This is like returning a lost object. And that's the law. If I come and re- return a lost object to you, you can't come and say, hey, you, uh, there was more money in there. You owe me more, right? This is the, if I find your wallet, right? And the, I, I return the wallet and you say, hey, there was $200 in here. Now there's only 100. You have to pay me 100. No, I'm returning your wallet. You can't have any claim against me. I don't need a migo. And the same thing here. Since you made, never made a claim, I came and admitted. I borrowed 200. I already paid back 50. Here's the other 50. Therefore, you don't need amigo, so that can't be the case of the Mishnah. And if you follow the B'Eliezer ben Yaakov, he said that I need to make a swear. There's a general rule that modeh miksat. If someone had, does have a claim against me, 100, and I say, yeah, I did owe you 100, but I paid back 50. I only have to give you 50. So there is a law. We're going to see that it's probably even a Doraita law. Uh, that I have to swear that I only owe you 50, and then, I'm, and then I'm believed, but only after I swear. So Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says, even though in this case you never made a claim, I came and admitted it myself and said, hey, your father gave me 100, I paid back 50. Nevertheless, even though I admitted it, I still have to swear because I admitted half. It's modeh b'miksat. And therefore, he can't be the author of this Mishnah, if we use this case, it wouldn't be possible, according to Beelzebub ben Yaakov, because I'm actually not believed. I have to make a swear. Okay, so now we're going to see the Ibraita in uh, the original. You can have a case where I will have to make a swear on my own admission, even though you didn't make any claim. The standard case, everyone agrees, that is you make a claim of 100 and I admit to 50, I have to swear about the other 50. But sometimes, even if I come and admit, I still have to make a swear. Kesad. This exact case where I admit that your father lent me a hundred, but I paid back half. He has to swear. And according to the Bielis Ben Yaakov, this is a case where someone swears, even for his own admission. Chachamim say, no, there's only one side in this case. You didn't mean to make any claim. Since I came on my own free will and said, hey, I want to give you $50 because it's something missing. I'm returning a lost article. So therefore, no, I don't need a swear. I don't need any claim. I don't need a migo. I don't have to prove anything. Okay. And now we're going to ask, doesn't Abiel Ben Yaakov have this concept that if I do find something and return it, I don't have to make, I don't have to swear about anything. And no one can have a claim against me. Doesn't he have, agree with that concept? 
katan. Oh, we're talking about a case where the orphan was a minor, and therefore there is a claim. Um, uh, there, there is in fact a claim. Uh, so there, that's why it's if I, I, indeed if I came on my own free will without any claim and said here I owe your I owed your father fifty then uh, Rabbi Eliezer would, would agree I don't need uh, to swear but if the minor orphan makes a claim against me then there is a claim there's two sides that's what we're talking about then we reject that wait a second the master also said that when the claimant is um, uh, a, a mute, a deaf mute, uh, imbecile, minor, they don't have enough uh, 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 cognition to make a valid claim in court. And therefore, they cannot require me to make a, to, to swear. So that can, can, case can't be talking about that. So we say, no, my katan gadol, actually in that statement, um, the word katan, even though usually means minor, is actually talking about an adult. So why are you calling him a minor? Because with regard to his father's matter, business matters, he is like a minor. In other words, he doesn't know everything that the father lent out and what's coming in, and he doesn't have access to all the invoices or just, just doesn't know what the father did. So he's like a katan, but in fact, he is an adult. Okay, um, so that's what case we're talking about, that the adult son came and made a claim against me. We, now we ask, If Tanata Tanata the Baraita said, Rabbi Eliezer says, sometimes someone can make a swear on his own admission. But if you're saying that the adult son made a claim, then it's not my own admission anymore. Uh, someone made a claim. So it wouldn't fit into the category that the Baraita was looking for. What we mean is, someone else claimed, but I did admit. Um, and so that's a case. Uh, even though someone else claimed, since I admitted, it's called my own claim. But that doesn't work either. Because every single case is always going to be when someone claim, makes a claim against me, and I admit to half of it. That's the classic case of Modebe Mixat, where everyone agrees you have to take an oath. So this wouldn't, wouldn't be a, anything interesting, uh, that uh, an opinion that would be particular to to be Eliezer ben Yaakov. And therefore, this line of reasoning can't be. Rather, to explain this machloket, In fact, Eliezer ben Yaakov and the rabbis are discussing a different matter that's explicated by uh, the later Amorah Rabbah. How come the Torah said? So you see here, there, here, see that the rabbis are considering it a Doraita law. How come if I admit to a part of it, then I know I have to swear to the other part, even though if I denied the whole thing, I wouldn't have to swear? Because Chazaka, this is um, a presumption of human psychology. A person doesn't have such uh, shamelessness to uh, deny the person that he owes money to totally, right? If I really owe you $100 um, and you come and say, hey, pay me $100, most people, okay, of course, there's very evil people, but most run-of-the-mill people, even if though they want to get out of paying, they're not going to deny to his face and say, I owe you zero. So therefore, if you say zero, we believe. And really, this guy owes money, would like to deny the entire loan. 
but he's not he's embarrassed to deny the other deny the whole loan and in fact he wishes he could admit the whole loan if he had money to pay but he doesn't have any money right now to pay but he wants to get the creditor off his back this is okay oh you part I paid you part here here's a little right just to get him uh, to stop maybe if he pays him half and he denies the other half so people do have enough shame that they'll say you know I don't know you that much I only owe you a little um, so human psychology says that's fine you know, people will uh, lie a little bit they just won't totally lie and person's thinking well until I get money then I'll repay him the half I'm not it's not that I'm cheating him and never gonna pay him I want to pay him half now I want to go away so that's why I'm saying I only owe you half uh, that's people will nor, even regular uh, some uh, generally honest people will give a half lie so therefore, that's why uh, Hashem says, Torah says, Halacha requires that a person should swear so that I will have to admit the entire loan, right? So we're not worried a person is going to deny in, uh, the whole thing, but a person would deny half of it. If he has to swear, then he'll say, okay, you're right, I do owe you the whole thing. Well, that, that was in the previous answer. No, that was only in the previous answer where we said it must be an adult that came. In this answer, we, we don't, it's not an adult that, that came and made any claim. We're not, we we uh, rejected that. So instead, we're, we're, showing, we're explaining the machlok in a different way. And they're arguing about this psychology here. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov Sabad. We're still saying that maybe it was a child. It was a child that uh, 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 made a claim. But then that's, that's not a real claim. You, you could, um, it doesn't matter. Uh, so says this logic of psychology is true both with the person himself that I borrowed from and if he died with his son I'm not going to lie outright not to the father and not to the son because now the son is my creditor and so I'm not going to say deny that I owe, him, uh, owe, owe and say I owe him zero but I may do a half lie and that's why I have to give a shivua whether the father says it, that's a regular case of modem mixat or the son even if the son's a minor so because the son is a minor um, I'm, uh, you might have thought I don't have to. Rabbi Elisabeth says I would still not lie in front of a minor, but I would make a half a lie, so it requires a shivua. But Abanan Sabre, Bohu de Eno Meriz, Avabibno, Meriz, Umedela Meriz, Mishum Meshib Abedahave. Rabbi Elisabeth say no. I, a, a regular, a, a generally honest person, would not totally lie to the father from whom he actually borrowed the money, but most people think in their head after that father dies, like, oh, he died, I'm not going to have to pay back anymore. Oh, the son comes, you know, a little kid, hey, you owed my father, ah, get out of here, I don't owe you anything, right? So even a general run-of-the-mill person uh, would not be, uh, would not have, uh, 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 be embarrassed to make a total lie. And uh, therefore, I do have amigo. Since I could have said, get out of here, I don't owe you anything, and people would say that, but instead I say, you're right, I did owe your father 50, but I paid back 50. Therefore, it's like an admission, and um, I don't have to make a swear according to Rabbanan. So that's the conclusion. Either way, this case will not fit into the 
the blueprint of our Mishnah because according to the Banan, it's like Meshiv Aveda. So it's not because of Amigo. It's not a good example of Amigo. According to the Beelzebub and Yaakov, I have to give a swear. And uh, so it would not be a case where I am believed. And that's why the Mishnah could not have used either of these cases that we just tried. All right, next Mishnah continues in Dine Mamonot. Okay, first a quick intro. Whenever someone has a document, a shtar, like an IOU, uh, we have witnesses on the bottom. If um, I lent you money, so I have the shtar, I, if I want to collect money, I have to bring it to court. And the court, they don't collect right away. First, they have to certify that the document is authentic. How do you authentic, uh, authenticate a document? There's three ways. Either we look at the adim, who are they? Bring them in. So if the adim come and they say, they look at it, yes, this is our, this is our handwriting. We signed this document. That's one way to do it. But they could be not around. I mean, the witnesses could be dead, and still, the, the, it's going to be authentic. A second way to do it is if friends who know the signature of the witnesses come in and say, we know their signature, yes, we recognize it, that's authentic. Or if we have other another document that was already authenticated that the same witnesses signed and we can put it side by side like they you know like they do in banks when you sign a check at least they used to do I don't think anybody checks anymore um, and uh, they'll say oh yeah it matches and this was authenticated therefore we know this is an authentic document okay so those are the three ways we can authenticate a document let's say the witnesses themselves come in and they say yes this is our handwriting we did sign it but we did it under duress. The Gemara will talk about what kind of duress, right? We didn't want to sign it, and therefore it's uh, invalid. Or they say, at the time we signed it, we were minors. A minor can't be a witness to a document, or we were disqualified witnesses. Maybe they were relatives, or they were gamblers, and therefore um, they are saying, this is not an authentic document, and you can't use it, you, can't collect, you cannot collect your debt. So they are believed, um, since they could have said, that it's not our handwriting, this is a forgery. Instead, they say something else, so we should believe them. But if the witnesses come in and we have another way of authenticating it based on, uh, based on other people that recognize the handwriting or comparing it to other things that they signed, then we don't believe them because they don't have amigo anymore. They could not have said, we never signed it because we have independent proof that they signed it, so then we don't believe them to say that we signed it under duress or we were disqualified, and the document can be used, even though the witnesses are standing right there and saying that we were, we were uh, disqualified witnesses. All right, fantastic. The Gemara is now going to bring a statement by Rami Bar Chama that limits the Mishnah. We're going to see two versions, one where it applies to the Sefa, the next where it applies to the Resha. And the sefa here that says when there is independent authentication of the uh, of the signatures, then we do not believe the witnesses. That's only true when they come and say that we were for under duress because of money. In other words, someone came and said, hey, you better sign this false document or else we're going to take $1,000 from you. In that case, one is not allowed to sign the document. Even if someone's going to take money from you, you can't go violate uh, important uh, a mitzvah and then go sin. I mean, because now you're signing a document that's going to be used by someone else for nefarious purposes. And so in that case, the person, by admitting that, yeah, I signed it because I was compelled to because of a monetary threat, he's admitting that 
he did something wrong. That's self-incriminating. By uh, um, and self-incriminating evidence, we do not accept, um, and therefore that person will not be believed, and the document is authentic. His signature is valid. We do, we deny his testimony when he says he himself did something wrong. But if the witness says that um, we were compelled by the force of our lives, someone put a gun to her and says, you better sign this document falsely or else we'll kill you, then that is allowed. They are allowed to sign and not be killed. And therefore, since that's not self-incriminating evidence, the person, in fact, the witnesses would, in fact, be believed to say that they signed under duress and therefore, the document would be thrown out uh, because it's not authenticated. The witnesses, yeah, they signed it, but it was under duress. Okay, Amale Rava, Kol Kemine. Rava says, wait, isn't that in their power of the, of the uh, witnesses to retract? We have a general rule that once a witness says something, they cannot retract their own testimony. They submitted it, that's it. It's in the, it's in the vault, it's uh, officially recorded, and they can't go back on their word. As it says, is a general principle. Once, once a witness testified in court, he cannot go and back and testify again and take back what he said. And maybe you'll say, yeah, that's a general uh, procedure in court when it's an oral testimony. I can't go again and say, oh, I want to testify again and retract it. But maybe in a document, I would be able to. But that's not true. taught that witnesses that sign a document are the same as oral witnesses. Just like an oral, usually, when always when you have oral oral testimony, you have to bring the two uh, two witnesses and separate them, ask them questions, make sure it lines up. We have to cross-examine them. When you have a demon ashtad, you can't actually do that because they're not around. They could have been, uh, in a, they could be in a foreign country. They could be dead. But as like you says that when they sign, it's as if we already accept, cross-examine, and accept their accept their testimony. The point for us is that it's it's considered equivalent, and therefore, just like oral witnesses cannot retract, so to written document witnesses cannot retract their testimony. So Rami Barchama could not have been saying his statement about the uh, sefa, where uh, according to that he would say. Um, if the witnesses came and say, oh, we were under duress, we accept that testimony, and it's as if they're, they're uh, undoing their, their testimony, taking it back. Rather, we're going to flip his statement around, and he actually said it on the first half of the Mishnah, where it says, in the Resha, where there is no uh, independent uh, uh, corroboration of their witnesses, so we're relying on them to say, I signed it. So therefore, they could have said, that's not our signature. In that case, we believe them when they say that uh, it's our signature, but there's a problem with it. That's the case where, Yes, if they come and say, listen, that is our signature, but I was under duress of my life, then we accept them because there's no self-incriminating evidence. And they could have said it's not our testimony, so it was never authenticated in the first place. Therefore, we accept it and we say, yeah, it was under duress and we throw out the document. However, if they say that we were under duress because of money, then we cannot accept that testimony. 
A person does not render himself wicked. A person comes and says, I did something bad. We actually do not do not accept his own testimony because then he's actually making himself uh, into a wicked person and we don't accept the testimony from a wicked person. So it's a kind of paradox. And therefore, uh, we reject that testimony and we say the document is perfectly fine. Oh, and this is, so it has to be on the Resha. In the Sefa, where we had independent testimony from uh, someone else that said this is what they, this, they signed this document, there it's as if they already cl came and, cl and claimed, yes, we signed the document. And once they make that claim, they cannot undo it by saying something else that we were under duress. So therefore, it has to be on the Resha. All right, now one last baraita that relates directly to uh, this Mishnah is a machloket between uh, two Tanaim, Tenur Banan, and Ne'emanin Lefoslo, They say, in general, according to the Bimeir, witnesses are not uh, believed to invalidate a document, to say, oh, there was something wrong with our signatures, we don't believe them, Rabbi Meir says. Hachamim say, we do believe them. Uh, so Hachamim fits with the Resha of our Mishnah that also says, if they come and say that these are our signatures, but we were children, we, uh, we were invalid, we do believe them. So, that we understand Rabbanan, it's the same as the reasoning in the Mishnah. Uh, which was based on Migo, they are the very same ones that said these are our uh, signatures. So they are also believed to say, but when we signed it, we were minors, we were invalid, we were under duress. So good. Rabbanan, we understand perfectly. But according to Bimeir, who said that we do not accept the witnesses when they say, I was invalid. Uh, instead, we ignore them and we authenticate the document. What's their reasoning? If they come and say that uh, we were invalid, we were related, or we were gamblers, then we understand why the Bimeir will reject them because the Maveh, the lender, is always going to check the signature, check the witnesses first. It's very important to the lender to make sure that this document will be able to be used in court. And therefore, the lender is always going to uh, get good witnesses. And he's going to ask them a uh, hundred times, are you related? Are you a gambler or anything? And therefore, since the Malveh, we assume, did a good job checking to, to make his own document, when these witnesses come later and said, oh, we were not valid, we don't accept it. Lakish says that since in general minors cannot make a uh, cannot sign a document, there's a general presumption that when witnesses sign, we can assume that they were adults because no one's going to allow a kid to come and sign, so you don't have to worry about it. And so if someone says, "Oh, I was a child when I signed," we don't believe him. But if someone comes and says, I was compelled, then why would the Bimeid reject that testimony? Could be someone was actually uh, signed under duress. something so really, uh, you can't believe that he said this. According to Rav Chista, he thinks that according to the Bimeid, when witness, if someone tells witnesses, hey, you better sign this or die, that the halakha, according to him, is that they should die rather than sign. And therefore, when they, when they come and say, oh, we signed under duress of our lives, 
we reject their testimony because that's self-incriminating, right? They're saying that we did something wrong by signing and not dying. So this is quite astounding because it's a, um, uh, seems to be an opinion that said, that says that you should uh, uh, allow yourself to be killed. You must allow yourself to be killed rather than forge a document. But we know that's not the generally accepted halacha. So he's challenged. Lava says, even if they came to, if the witnesses came, someone was under duress, right? They said, sign this or die. They said, wait, we have to go ask our rabbis. So, okay, let them go. And if they would come to us, even before it happened, we would tell them, go sign it and don't die. Uh, you don't have to. And we know that this is not one of the big three. The only three matters that are um, uh, that that uh, uh, stand in front of saving a life, in other words, that are more important than life itself, are not doing idolatry or illicit relations or murder. Those you have to give up your life before violating. But this you don't have to. So if even if they would ask us beforehand, we would tell them sign it. Now that they already signed it, are we going to tell them, because you signed even Bidi Avad, you're considered sinners, and we reject your testimony? This doesn't make sense. This is not the law. Uh, so this is not self-incriminating evidence. Rather, we have to diff- find a different reason why Rabbi Meir would reject witnesses who said we signed under duress. Rav said that you don't have to authenticate a document in all cases. For example, if the bar, if the lender comes and says, "Hey, you owe me money," and the borrower comes and says, "Oh yeah, I, I, this is a, a valid start. I wrote it." Usually, the borrower will write the IOU, right, and give it to the lender. If the borrower comes and says, "I did in fact write this document." then we don't have to bother going and finding witnesses to authenticate the document because the borrower, the whole point of the, point of the witnesses is to authenticate that the borrower really agreed to this. Um, but if he admits that he wrote it, then you don't need to. And therefore, in this case, since you have the signatures there and the witnesses come and say, yes, that is our signature, we could just say stop there. This is a document that we don't even need to authenticate the same as if the borrower himself admitted uh, admitted to writing it. And therefore, when the witnesses uh, continue and say, oh, but we were under duress, we say, you know what? This is a pre-authenticated document. We don't need your authentication. And that's to be made as reasoning for saying that we reject the testimony of the witnesses and the document is still authentic. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.